Section 13 of the Junior Classics, Volume 9, Stories of Today. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Traveling Doll by Evelyn Sneed Barnett Before the serpent came, in the guise of a French doll, it was a gay little Eden of a shanty-boat. Its doors were plaid-panelled in red, green, and blue. Its tiny square window-frames were painted blue on one side of the house, red on the other, and green at the back. Here, to be sure, the paint grew thin and failed to hold out for the walls, although, gathering with a mixture of its three tints, it sprawled in a final effort to tell that the name of the little home was The Wing. But a short distance from the mainland, the wing rested, anchored to a green island. A skiff was tied to its front mast, and a single plank connected the shanty boat with the great world, typical of the slender thread that bound the floating family to their kind, for the wings did not consort with other shanty boaters. Inside, the little abode was as gay as its exterior and far more tidy. The stove and its tins were polished to the nines. The strips of rag carpet were bright and clean, the table was scoured white, the bed was neatly made, and under it the family wardrobe was out of sight in a long black brass-nailed box. A gaudy clock ticked noisily from a shelf. A tall lamp in a rainbow paper shade, the pride and glory of the home, sat by its side. The wall was covered with bright posters. Everywhere were gay colors and shining cleanliness. And they were a satisfied family, before the serpent came, Father Wing being a sturdy, silent fisherman who could always be counted upon to make a living, catching it on water and spending it on land, and finding comfort in his gentle wife and ten-year-old daughter. Today he was off fishing, and Mrs. Wing sat inside the sill of the plaid doorway, sewing on a high-necked, long-sleeved gingham apron, her head turned in a listening attitude that was habitual. Outside, on the little deck piazza, in a starched mate to the apron her mother was making, little Almira sat, hugging Botsy and feeling rather lonely, for, although her father had left the skiff and taken Wally Jim away, Sweepens had surreptitiously followed. Almira was bare-legged and tow-headed, but she had a fair skin that defied exposure, and her face had never lost its baby curves. Her eyes were as blue as the river on a clear day, and her mouth had a tender droop, as if she were always feeling sorry for something or someone. She was tilting her little stool, humming a song to Botsy, when her mother said, "'I hear voices. Who's on shore, Almira?' Elmira looked. "'There's two of em, Ma. They're beckoning me to come for em. One's Miss May, and the other's got lace on her petticoat and fuzzy things round her neck. I reckon Miss May's coming about school again. I'm going to show her that last copy of yours. I wish I could spare you to get an education like my mother gave me, but I can't. Still, it ain't every child with eyes can read raised point.' Elmira was untying the boat. I wouldn't let you spare me. You'd catch a fire, or you'd fall in the river. 
We'd rather stay here, wouldn't we? She was talking to Botsy now. No, you can't go with me. Jumping nimbly into the skiff, she began to cross the narrow strip of water. That baby, Roas? she heard the lace lady ask. So she ran the boat in skillfully. Miss May stepped lightly in. The lace lady hesitated, then followed with a laugh. Almira could hardly work the oars for looking at her soft brown eyes and the little brown curl that fluttered on her cheek. A few strokes brought the skiff to the boat. "'Good morning, Mrs. Wing,' called Miss May. "'Here's somebody you want to meet. Guess. "'Is it Mrs. Lennox who sends the raised point books in the traveling library?' "'You're a witch!' cried the girl. The woman smiled brightly. Her blue eyes, with the white, sightless pupils, turned towards the stranger. "'I'm glad to see you at last. We heard you were coming. "'Almira, have you brought seats for the ladies?' The child, keeping her eyes on the beautiful stranger, brought forward two soap-boxes upholstered in gay calico. If Botsy only had something like that for her neck! She caught up the bottle in its crude skirt and blue crocheted shawl with an emphatic hug. "'Is that your doll?' asked Miss Lennox. "'No, ma'am. It's Botsy.' "'It's the bottle I fixed up for her. I don't know how she'd pass the time if it wasn't for Botsy. You see—' Being so helpless, I try to make her enjoy staying with me. You know how helpless I am without her, Miss May. I know how helpful you are, and what a good housekeeper, said Miss May, looking about at the tidy interior. Then she told her errand. Elmira was invited to the schoolhouse reception party the next Wednesday. Wally Jim had offered to fish near the wing, if Mr. Wing should have to be filling orders in town. Elmira, her eyes still fixed on the beautiful lady's face, said, "'I went once. Miss May had an Easter, just after we first come here. May I bring Botsy?' But Miss May said no. A new library was due, and, if it reached the village in time, Elmira would have books to bring her mother. Mrs. Wing smiled softly. "'How good of you! The last one was about little Nell.' Why is it our books are so much better than the books are people that can see? Jack thinks so. And so does Elmira. How I bless you, ma'am. Mrs. Lennox could say nothing. May had told her the story of the young mother, attacked by the scarlet fever that left her sightless ten years before. I'll let her come on Wednesday, pursued Mrs. Wing, but I'll never budge from this chair till she gets back. It's not as if I'd never seen how dangerous things are. With the school party, this tale has not to do. The child reached home betimes, carrying a package of books and a pasteboard box that seemed almost as long as herself. She was trembling with excitement. The library's come, Ma, and here's two books, and some cake, and candy, and, oh, Ma, just guess what's in the box. The mother felt, smiled, and shook her head. A little girl, a live little girl baby doll and she lifted it from its shell. And Miss May, she's sometimes so funny. She said at first she believed she'd rather I wouldn't have her, but the lady said she wanted me to. The mother held out her arms for the doll, almost as excited as the child. Elmira expounded. Its dress is blue, with buttons and buttonholes, and her hair's real. Put your hand here. It's brown, and these teenty brown curls slant on her cheeks. "'and her eyes are brown, 
and she can shut them and go to sleep just like you and me. Well, I never, said the mother, feeling. And what is this paper pinned on her dress? It's a letter, answered Elmira sagely. It begins in print and ends in writing, but I can't make it all out. It says, Patent, Unbreakable Celluloid, Made in France. I'll ask Daddy the rest when he comes. And feel the petticoat, Ma. Lace. And tucks, added the mother, and see how fine the stuff is. Are these slippers? With heels, real heels, gurgled Almira. And stockings. And in the box there's a hat and feather and a white nightgown. Almira's emotion got the better of her, and she flung herself into her mother's arms and rocked in ecstasy. Then came a familiar bark, and Sweepins preceded the husband and fell to sniffing the doll immediately. "'It's mine, Sweepins,' cried the child. "'Look, Daddy!' But the fisherman was too hungry to notice dolls. So the trio prepared the supper of frizzled bacon, corn, hoe-cakes, and weak coffee. Afterward was bedtime and the little feather bed was pulled from the big one to the floor, and made up with clean quilts for the child. But first she undressed the doll, carefully plaiting its hair in two nice plates, putting the front in curl papers, and robing it in the nightdress fine enough for day. Mrs. Lennox had cautioned her to teach the child tidy ways like its grandmother's. Poor Botsey, hitherto her constant bedfellow, stood motionless outside the door. When morning came, and she was helping, her mother asked, "'What are you going to name her?' "'It ought to be something pretty. I thought of Queenie.' "'Queenie'll be fine,' agreed Mrs. Wing. "'But where's the paper? Maybe she's already named.' Outside, Daddy was mending a net when Elmira brought him the paper. He read, "'Patent. Unbreakable. Celluloid. Made in France.' That's in print, and here in writing is This traveling doll goes with traveling library number 10 to any child selected by persons responsible for the distribution of the books. It is the reward for good behavior or special merit in the place of a medal, and is to belong to the child until the library is ready to go on. When the dolly, in neat condition and clean, her hair combed, her clothing washed and ironed, must be put back in her box and packed for the next child on the circuit. Elmira snatched at the paper and ran into the boat. She laid Queenie on her mother's lap and crept out to the little deck. Botsey, again on guard, stood by the door. Elmira seized her fiercely, tore off the blue shawl, dragged at the soiled skirt, an old greasy bottle. How could it ever be taken back as her very own child when Queenie had to go? Elmira, called the mother, scenting tragedy, don't you want me to play grandmother with you and Queenie? What's the use? She's like your books. She ain't mine, and I never had a real child before. The paper says she must travel with the books. But the placid cheeriness of the blind woman smoothed matters. But she's yours now and sometimes the books stay for weeks and weeks. Here was some comfort. One week was a long time, a month so long that Almira could hardly remember it, and Queenie was beautiful. Why not love her and be happy? And she was, for weeks and weeks that went by like a dream. She quite forgot what had to happen until 
One day, Wally Jim stopped with a note from Miss May, in printing writing that Almira could read. It said, Will you let Queenie go on tomorrow? There's a dear little girl just your age up in the mountains who may have to walk on crutches all her life. She is expecting the doll every day now, so have it looking clean and pretty. Almira? questioned the mother, but the child did not answer. Fortunately, no one was near but Wally Jim to see her screwed-up face as she gulped once or twice. She handed him the paper to read, making a sign of silence. Whatever her emotions, she always instinctively spared her sympathetic mother. "'I wouldn't let her go,' blurted Wally Jim, kicking one cowhide boot so hard against the tying post that he rocked the house. Almira's head shook in mournful dissent. "'When I took her, I knew I had to let her travel with the books,' she said with wonderful logic. Wally Jim would not look at her. "'You take my advice. Kick about it. Twon't do any harm.' He got into his skiff, with head turned from Elmira's drawn face. "'But if you're bound to send her, I'll be round tomorrow for her and the books.' "'What's that?' he said about the books,' called the mother. "'Are some more coming?' "'I suppose so. These have to go back.' "'And the doll? Oh, baby.' "'Of course,' answered Elmira shortly. "'We'll wash her clothes today, for it says return clean and neat.' It was all right while the work went on. Queenie was washed, combed, braided, and dressed. Almira touched her as little as possible. When Queenie was laid in her box, wearing a blue hood knitted by the mother and tied with the tapes that had held her still on her former journey, Almira thought she looked as if she were in her coffin. Then Almira caught sight of Botsy, as usual on guard outside the door. Before Queenie came... Botsy was ever so much sweeter. If she had never seen Queenie, why could not the little girl in the mountains on crutches have a Botsy? They do all right, until you've seen the other kind. Almira's character was one of quick decision. With a furtive look at her mother, she took Queenie from her nest and removed her hood, dress, shoes, stockings. Then she stripped Botsy of her old skirt and blue shawl, putting Queenie's clothes on Botsy after a painful fashion, put the blue woolen hood over Botsy's green glass countenance, and folded Queenie's freshly starched nightgown on Botsy's chest. She viewed her work critically, and, with an access of turpitude, stuffed empty sleeves and stockings with paper, putting on the slippers so that they stuck quite naturally from beneath the blue frock. And right over the place where Queenie's face should have looked from the hood, she pinned the paper. Then she tied the tapes, tied them with a vicious screw of her mouth in hard, hard knots, put the lid on the box, and brought all to her mother, saying, in the evenest of tones, "'I want you to help me wrap her up.' "'Poor baby,' said the mother. "'Maybe some day Mrs. Lennox will send another.' "'Never want another,' said the child sullenly. Going out to her stool in front, she dressed Queenie in the old skirt, put the shawl over her head, and tried to stand her on guard, Botsy fashion. But Queenie doubled up and refused. So she held her in her arms with a savage satisfaction, thinking, Queenie isn't any bottle doll. You've done gone back to Botsy? That's right. You've got the sense of a grown-up. The afternoon brought a scare. Miss May herself came for the packages. 
Suppose, oh, suppose. Almira barely had time to plump Queenie between the feather beds before Miss May landed in Wally Jim's skiff. Almira was glad that she had been prompt and that the string was tied in hard knots. Miss May praised her for being a good little girl and made her wince by depicting the gladness of the lame child in the mountains when Queenie should arrive. But Almira did not repent for a minute. She even said, Poor little girl, with a hard-hearted irony. Miss May puckered her forehead, as she always did when she was thinking. That night, Almira tossed and tumbled, unable to sleep. Then the moon rose and sent a straight shaft of light through one of the little square windows on the doll's face. Elmira smothered a scream. One of Queenie's eyes was asleep, the other wide open, staring at her. She shook her, hard, but that eye would not sleep. She held her up, but although the shut eye opened, the open eye shut, giving the effect of a wicked wink. How she longed for dear, blind Botsy. Where was Botsy now? Could she feel, and did she know what had been done? No, Botsy was only a bottle. But Queenie knew. Queenie was watching her with one eye to see what other wicked things were going to happen. And there was Miss May, praising her and trusting her, and that little lame girl in the mountains expecting a doll and getting... Almira could not have called this a protest of conscience, but she knew she was utterly miserable. Furthermore, she realized that Queenie's ability to bring pride and happiness was gone, and that she herself would always have this something gnawing her inside. But must she? Perhaps it was not too late. Jim would help her. Tomorrow she would get him to stay near her mother while she went ashore with Queenie the glaring queenie, to Miss May, telling her how bad she had been. Perhaps number ten had not gone on, and Botsy could be stopped on her deceitful way. This resolve so comforted Almira that, as the moon went down and darkness hid the staring eye, she fell asleep. She was awakened by voices, and a motion she knew well. The daylight came broadly through the windows. She heard a clanging and creaking. A sick realization overwhelmed her. They had left the island. They were in the broad bed of the river, skimming away who knew where, away from Miss May and the chance of making things all right. She dressed herself, asking no questions, but her mother, holding to the arms of her chair, explained, Your pa thinks he'll do better off a larger town. So he came in before day and raised sail to get into the current while this good wind's blowing. Almira sat limply on her little stool. Queenie could not go back to Miss May, but she should not glare at her with her one eye for the rest of her life. Botsy could swim, but Queenie? Queenie could drown. And this time there was no deliberation. She snatched at the doll, and going to the back of the boat, hurled it as far as she could into the river. Then she fell to helping her mother assiduously, being extra loving and attentive giving little pats and squeezes as she passed her in the morning tasks, even running to hug her whenever the boat rocked in the waves made by passing craft. Mrs. Wing did the washing. Almira hung the clothes to dry in the bright, breezy sunshine. She scoured the already bright tins. She shook up the beds, hung the quilts to air, washed the floor, the deck. It was work she wanted, hard work, 
she made the discovery that work brought forgetfulness. She would have liked to scrub the floor of the world. Day was all right, but for all her bodily fatigue, she slept but fitfully that night. She wished people could work at night. Although they soon reached a place that her father called The Point and anchored a little way up a creek where things stopped shaking and were quiet, her eyes would not close. This Point place was not like the Green Island. There were smells. They were far enough inland to see a street with people walking. Indeed, they were almost under a bridge that let the streetcars go by. Daddy left early. After putting the cabbage on to boil, her mother sat down to her seams and hems in the checked blue gingham. Almira, empty-handed, moped on her little three-legged stool at the door. Sweepens, ringing wet, snored on the sunny deck. A skiff came up the stream. In it, Wally Jim. "'I brought you something,' he called. "'Miss May got to thinking after she got home, and she says she'll get another doll for that mountain kid, and you can have Queenie back.' He reached under the seat and with a dramatic effect drew out the long box. At the sight of it, Almira's self-control gave way. Here was punishment indeed. To her mother's arms she rushed, blurting out the truth with sobs. "'Wally Jim,' asked Mrs. Wing, "'how far is Miss Mays from here?' "'Not so very far, and she's down in town today. Said she was coming.' "'Take the box back to her, Wally Jim,' sobbed Almira." Better see it just as it is, because she hasn't opened it, and she thinks she's sending me Queenie, and I'll write a letter besides. I'll take all the letters you want, but I won't take the box, because whatever's in it, it's yours. There was something different and set about Wally Jim this morning. Almira sighed resignedly, and with painstaking labor proceeded to print her letter of repentance. You have got back Botsy, dear, said the mother, so try to forget. I'll never play with Botsy again. I'll give her away first. In an incredibly short time, they heard Jim's oars again, and Miss May stepped on deck. She was holding out her arms to Almira, and there were tears in her eyes. Dear child, I didn't like the idea from the very first, but Mrs. Lennox does so much for us. You'll be all the better for the sharp experience, and you have really shown your repentance. Now, let's open the box and see exactly what you did. Quite cheerfully, all the miserable feeling gone, Almira brought scissors, cut strings, pointing out the while the inequities of hard knots and covered features. What? Queenie! From the bottom of the river, dry, clothed, and with her two eyes shut. Almira looked at Miss May and at Wally Jim grinning over Miss May's shoulder. What has happened now? asked Mrs. Wing. "'Tell your story, Jim,' said Miss May. "'I was drifting some way off behind you all,' said Jim, "'and maybe sleeping some, "'when who should swim up to the skiff "'with something in his mouth but sweepins? "'It was Queenie, but as she celluloid, "'only her clothes were wet. "'I puzzled out that somehow she hadn't gone back to Miss May "'and that she ought to, so I took her. "'And Miss May says, "'If this is Queenie, what's in Almira's box?' So we looked, and there was Botsy. And, oh, I was so sorry, said Miss May, taking up the tale, though I'd known all along that a traveling doll would cause heartache, and this proved it could do worse. I sent Queenie back, 
after having her doctored, knowing that my little Almira was good before temptation came, and wishing to know what it had made of her. I'm satisfied, and Miss May hugged the child once more. The blind mother was smiling. Miss May, she's only a child, you know, but she's suffered like a grown-up, and with it all helped me just the same as ever. Almira dug her bare toes into the rag carpet. Where'd Botsy go to? she asked without looking up. If I were you, I'd look under the seat of my boat, said Wally Jim. End of section 13